Hello and welcome to The Run-In. We're going to go straight into the second part of our big interview with Australian orienteer Hanny Alston. If you haven't heard the first part already, go back and listen to last week's episode. It's a real cracker. In the first part of the interview, we heard about her growing up in Tasmania, those early teenage years as a national level swimmer, and then discovering orienteering and the lead into that historic double gold at the Junior World Championships and World Orienteering Championships in 2006, as well as the darker side of her life at that time with battles of anorexia and her father's diagnosis with bipolar disorder and other quite deep emotional topics, but, you know, Hanny handled them really well. And, um, yeah, we'll launch into part two where... As Catherine said last week, we'll uh, we'll be hearing a bit more about how to uh, how to slow down and how to deal with um, other issues that she confronted uh, in her time as an athlete. You talk a little bit about the anorexia and then coming, you know, confronting it and sort of talking uh, and looking at yourself. Normally, when I tied myself down, I avoided looking at the mirror, not wanting to confront the thin, gaunt girl who looked back at me. I was never afraid of seeing fatness, but rather rather I was avoiding looking at her thinness. For I knew she was thin, and I knew that she had been on an unsustainable path. But now I knew in my heart I had finally, truly stumbled onto the right path. Uh, And that's a really interesting place to be now as a, you know, 34-year-old and staring down the hopeful dream of becoming parents and it's hard not to wonder how some of these choices because they are choices that you've made are going to um affect you and and this is why this is one of my strong hopes for this book is that it is read by the people who need to read it because Living in those states for that long is um, without healthy hormones is just such a risk factor for women. It is for, it's, it's for men and women, just women have a lot more red flags. You hit upon something that helps you, um, and that is your femininity and, and sort of finding your femininity again. You know, when you're at the dietitian, you say, in that hour, I admitted to not having a period for over four years. And a period, and prior to that, only intermittent ones since I was 13 years of age. I admitted to no longer knowing what a normal meal was, and to not loving my sport in the same light anymore. I I just think it's just one of the most important conversations that is not being had in women's sport. You know, again, like think back to orienteering days, but the boys were always given longer courses, and the girls just did did the you know their fair share. Or we were always trying to keep up with you. And in the swimming environment, it was always the boys at the front and the girls behind. And I mean, fairness, that's how we perform. But the conversation that's not being had is that when women are healthy and menstruating and at their strongest, they will perform at their strongest. They will become resilient. They will become the champions that go on to perform time and time and time again. Because the menstrual cycle is when a woman is literally, it's saying to a woman, like, you are healthy, you are well, you are thriving. And so when you're not in that, we're not, you know, we're not at our best. And um, this is the conversation that is just not being had. And I'm actually, um, I've just started, (laughs) I think I've just started writing my next book on this topic because I just, I feel so strongly about it. and I just wonder how prevalent this, this issue is, whether it's to the stretch that I went to or whether it's just that irregular cycles. But 
Um, I think it's rife. And I don't think it's just in elite sport. I actually think it's, I've worked with so many women of like motherhood age or even in older age, in menopausal age, who have just hormones going everywhere. And um, I've worked with men that we've had their testosterone levels taken and they're at zero. You know, you cannot be the best male athlete if you have no testosterone because testosterone gives you power. Testosterone helps you recover. I mean, you and I both know the elite orienteering world. We both know the elite trail running world. You only have to look around and you know, you know that some of our world's best athletes are also our world's most unhealthy athletes. And you know that they come and go like the wind. You know, one minute they're winning and the next minute then they're, they're not even there. They're, there's a stress fracture. There's a, you know, or, you know, mentally they're just, they're just not ready to perform. And it's, it's because we don't put enough emphasis on thriveability. <laughs> just as you were talking though, it made me sort of think about, yeah, just how, how interlinked, you know, emotions um, and hormones are and that, very fine line or the, the sensitivity that they have in relation to stress and I'm not just talking you know work stress but it's lots of other stresses relationship stresses and obviously for you and for elite athletes it's performance stresses and training stresses and we're just not looking at stress or as cumulative like you sort of picked out some of the probably ones that mm, people might go oh, that's not me I'm not stressed but the one-year-old's birthday party, the sitting in traffic, the lack of natural light, the short days in winter, the cold days, the hot days, the poor nutrition choice that you made one day. Like, sadly, um, positive and negative stress or summer, and um, it is to the detriment of your sexual hormones. Like, that is the pathway. And it goes back to procreation days of, like, you either run away from the saber-toothed tiger but if you're running from the saber-toothed tiger, you don't want to be getting pregnant because that's not going to help the human race survive. So it's a very, very archaic system that we're working against. It's also you're working against what's in your mind and going back to how, you know, you have that sort of other person or whatever within you and you talk about it as an inner imp. It's very interesting to hear you talk about that as well and that struggle. And, and how to make yeah. your chimp or your imp happy and how to make you happy and how to make the right decisions on, on, on everything. Yeah. Yeah. But the, this last few, I mean, so this journey, I sort of really kicked in pretty hard when I was 30. I think when I really, I really was throwing a wake up call from my doctor saying that I needed to find my femininity. I didn't even know what femininity meant. I had to go home and Google the bloody word. And eventually, like, working with a psychologist a little bit later, it was like, Han, you know, being a woman is not just wearing a dress. And I think that was probably the light bulb moment. I was like, oh, I think I'm beginning to get this. But I'm so grateful that I've been in some ways thrown onto this journey, both by my story but also by some random offshoot comments that my doctor now doesn't actually even remember. Because it's really allowed me, I think femininity, femininity has been about finding the more sensitive side of myself and as someone who has been in an environment that worships strength and power and resilience and endurance, which are all very masculine traits, to then sort of come to um, 
be able to to sometimes soften that with my other side is is being a really really special part and it's allowed me obviously to become um to be able to delve a lot deeper into my relationships um i'm now married and not that it then puts you on the path of housewife but um I think it allows you to to be able to accept emotions and use emotions to your strength, you know. And, um, yeah, I I definitely think that it's helped the love of the natural environment fostered more deeply because rather than just rushing through it, I'm able to be more present in it and experience it and feel it. And um, I think it's also really helped me at work in a huge way um, because I just... I guess I'm, I feel like I'm able to connect, whereas before I was always in a hurry. <laughs> and I'm not saying that men are always in a hurry, but it's much more driven by that testosterone system that was, and cortisol system that was rife in me. And so, yeah, I guess like being able to cut some of the cortisol out and slow down a little has just been, been really nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one thing people always ask me uh, is like, you know, how can I, how can I be better or whatever at, at running or at orienteering? In this? I almost, almost always immediately turn around and just say, no, know yourself, like know your body, like get to learn exactly what, what is right for you. And it's not something that's completely obvious to begin with. Yeah. I think too, for too long, the conversation has always been, how do we have performance? Oh, make sure you have fun. Oh, and yeah, remember to have something for after your career is done. You know, like I think you, you, you will totally, you're nodding your head. So what we need to do, I truly believe this, is change the conversation and spin it around on its head. We need to make sure that the people that want to strive for things know who they are and live so unapologetically, you know, and and don't feel ashamed if they're, hitting puberty at 12 or 16 or 19 and don't feel ashamed if the passion that they really want to pursue is art or that they don't want to go to uni or that their dad used to water the plants without a t-shirt I don't care but like be you and but you have to do the work you can't I don't know if you just get there I think you have to be willing to journal, to write, to chat, to ask questions, to sit and be comfortable in yourself and not feel like you've got to pick up your phone to entertain yourself. Like, I think there's a whole body of work that we need to kind of do to to get that. Mm -hmm. But it starts with opening the conversation and allowing people to to do that. Mm -hmm. And then I think it's about learning how to play wilder, I call it. So I call it be wilder. That's be wilder. Play wilder is about what do you love and do that unapologetically because it's not about entering a race for fear of missing out or entering a race because your dad's always been in that sport or entering um, or going to uni because your mum said that's what you should do or you could do and you're really good at that, darling. Like it's about what do you love and pursue that unapologetically because oh my god when you get that combination and those ingredients in the bucket as I come to talk about later in the book it is like rocket fuel and if you can add that to the art of performance 
so the what to eat and how to eat and what gear to use and that shoe type and knowing all that running technique that you got given as a kid and knowing what gym to do and you know all of that fluff that can come can actually come a bit later um if you know how to do that and you add that to being able to know yourself and know what you love doing then like i say it is unbelievable there is no and then this is the bit of all of that story that gives me goosebumps is like i didn't even write about it in this book but last year i spontaneously like literally spontaneously had and a um a calling really to go and run the spine of the pyrenees mountains from the atlantic coastline to the mediterranean we were in albania and we had this three week opportunity i didn't even have the vest pack i didn't even have a pair of shoes i had to go and buy new shoes buy a vest pack and a day later we were at the start of the trail um we traveled with only what we had in our vest pack and this tiny little hire car and graham supported me and we spent three weeks running the 900 kilometers down this spine well i did it solo and he accompanied me at times and um and i know that the only reason that that experience um was gifted to me was because of the work that i'd done and that i was living my absolute undeniable truth and it's not to say that there weren't hard moments but the high of that experience even in it was just like i don't know being fed sugar for your entire life like it was just unbelievable so yeah (laughs) yeah wow yeah incredible i mean some people they get they're emotionally very happy when they have sort of stability in their life. But for us, perhaps we're, we need more wild things, like you say. Exactly. Um, I mean, think of it, it's like baking a cake. You need to put ingredients in a bowl. You need to mix them and you need to put them in an oven if you want to make a cake, right? But whatever the ingredients are is totally different. And you can cook whatever flavour cake you want. But you just have to go through those three things and put the ingredients in a bowl, mix it and put them in put them in the oven and that is learn to be yourself and know who you are I now call that almost grow wilder and then play wilder and learn what you love and then put the cake in the oven and enjoy the performance element of it but I think that my final comment on it really is that if you want to be though a champion you know if especially if sport is for you and if it's our audience orientees like you want to go on and be a true champion then i think you have to you have to know this formula because i think otherwise you might be a champion on one particular day but if you want to be the one like simon nigli luda who backed up time and time and time and time and time again you got to have that formula you got to know who you are <laughs> yeah the whole of your life so far has been quite a journey you could say um yeah this sort of like awareness and this sort of journey and you know embracing the journey life is a journey we're all on our hero's journey we might go through one in life we might go through many i think the thing that i come to really understand in that was that success is not an outcome um success is a is a behavior it's an action it's a doing word and i redefine success and failure for myself that success was about a willingness 
to walk on the edge of my discomfort or sometimes run <laughs> um, and to be willingness just to kind of be in that state because then that means that failure is just not having a go. And so much of, if you're on a journey, so often you don't know what's around the corner, right? In fact, we don't know what's around the corner. And there's a slight discomfort in that all the time. And yet some people might want to walk back to where they came from and that's okay, but I don't want to live that life. I want this richness. I want to be able to sit in my rocking chair when I'm 90 and be like, damn girl, I'm jealous, you know, like just for me, because then I know that I've like lived the best version of myself that I can and made the most of the time that I have here on this planet. So yeah, I, I guess like that, the why I see that one regret in there is that it was really hard to write that section of the book, not just because it was emotionally charged, but I have no memory of it. Like so little. It's like looking through this black film and thinking that I can make out the grey and white picture happening because so that's why I'm sad because the rest of my life at the moment, wow, you know, it's so vivid. But anorexia stole the colour mm. and um and a lot of the the depth of what could have been amazing in those just from even the friendships. Well, actually, that brings me nicely onto this next section and, and seeing the colour and, you know, getting back to that point of where you were so in love with the world um, comes in a sort of realisation or a semi-spiritual moment that you had in Japan. I'm soaking in a steaming onsen. I sense the space beyond the hotel's precinct, a presence of mountains out there somewhere. And as I closed my eyes, I felt the occasional dusting of mist as the intensity of the rain increased. When it reached a point of surprising ferocity, I opened my eyes. Water ran with a glowing sheen from the roofing, cascading into the valley that dropped away from the hotel. But suddenly I was trapped. I heard my brain yelling, let down your walls, let down your walls. And in that bizarre moment of undeniable certainty, I found my body overcome by an unbearable tension. Fearfully, I closed my eyes. It was the only thing I appeared to be able to control when my physical body was overcome by painful rigidity. My legs, arms and trunk muscles clenched so tight that it was unlike any cramping I've ever had. My ultra-trail 50-kilometre horrors paled into insignificance. Even my face pulled into a grimace that stretched into the front of my neck. My eyes closed again as rain lashed against any of my exposed skin. The noise of it was so overpowering and panic began to rise through me. Then, as quickly as it manifested, all tension eased. You talk about it as being such a precious moment uh, to yeah. you. Um, yeah, I still don't understand it. Um, but I will say now, I wasn't a spiritual being, but I, golly gosh, I am now. Okay. Um, and I think I was just so ready to let the world in and let myself out <laughs> and, um, and meet in the middle, yeah, because, uh, yeah, the colour definitely came back <laughs> and has come back. And, yeah, I'm still that person that will, like, jump out of bed every single morning because I cannot wait to start the day. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, that's incredible. I mean, just talk then 
as we sort of come to the end of our discussion, like that realization of who you are, that willingness to be you and be yourself and be connected with yourself, your femininity, how is that now affecting, you know, the way you live your life? You're a coach now, you're coaching, you're doing sort of, you were doing running tours as well and, and this sort of thing and you've got finding your feet. Um, how does all this sort of relate to your philosophy and how you give advice and give coaching and, and et cetera to people now? I think it gives me empathy that what I realized, and I, again, I mentioned this at some point in the book, was that in these many of these moments, I kept thinking like, I'm so alone. <laughs> like, why me? <laughs> and yet I realized that this is just part of the common, messy human experience that we're all going through. Like, we, our journeys are not exactly the same. They're completely unique. But there are patterns and themes and emotions that are the same. And I guess I just reached this point of realisation that I was on this journey of finding my feet and so too was everyone else. And how cool would it be if we came together and we shared that? I also have had so many vibrant, colourful experiences since all of these moments that we've talked about that will definitely have me whooping for joy when I'm great and old still. And I want to gift that feeling to other people. And I can't talk to everyone, but I know that there's a common love language in here for so many of us, which is just like running wilder out there somewhere, right? And they're the people that I know I can talk to. And so everything that I do now is that I run my own business and I'm always coming up with new ideas of like and ways and projects of how we can um, speak to people and help them get closer to finding their feet. Because even when I help just one person, there's just this electricity of awesomeness that um, fuels me onto the next project. I just love seeing people thrive. Um, I, I'm still messy. Life is still messy. I still make mistakes. I have my days where... I just, you know, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, but I kind of in the underneath all of that, there's this undercurrent that I'm absolutely living my truth and where I need to be at the moment. And I sometimes do find it hard that, you know, I'm not orienteering at the moment and I'm not active in that community and, and maybe I should be because you know, it was such a big part of my life. But I, I have to stay true to myself at this moment. And and I think when I do, I do my best work. So um, I guess, like, in many ways, I'm digging deeper in life and trying to, trying to be, yeah, living my truth because in knowing that I'm doing that, I know, I know that I will be doing what I'm needing to do for my community and the planet around me so it's, it does sound spiritual but I think that's where I've got to and I know it might not be my forever but yeah helping people now um to thrive and I love it <laughs> yeah no, I mean incredible like you know it's been great to hear like that deeper insight into you as a person your journey and where you've come to and where you and now why you're doing what you're doing now and, and how you see the future it's really cool to see and well 
Um, Hani, thank you very much for today. That was really fantastic. Um, yeah, Guys, I thank you. everyone enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers. Well, that's the end of our interview special with Hanny Alston. Thanks very much for Hector for sitting down with her and then both taking the time to, uh, to speak through her book and her life. Uh, but we'll leave it there for this episode. We'll be back next week with um, normal programming resuming and we'll see everybody then. <laughs>